0: But uh, I know you gotta
1: to... Okay, I'm just gonna record right. and then you can edit and, and however you want. Does that work?
0: Oh sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that, that's fine. Yeah, it's gonna be kind of uh how do you say? No, it's not it's gonna be kind of raw, I guess. That's the right word. Yeah. Just so far. So anyways, definitely it's good to have you at the cryptocosm. I don't yeah. be using your Zoom, but hey, you know, uh, uh, we're going to make it happen. So, uh, first of all, uh, for those who do not know who Tiffany Madison is, uh, I mean, you are a multi dimensional individual. That, I think that's the right word. I mean, you are an advisor, a consultant, storyteller, communications coach. Uh, definitely, you're that, that, that part of Tiffany. I know. I, I see you on Facebook quite a lot. And, and, and plus also you are a co-founder for three companies. So, I mean, I, I don't know even where to begin, but you've been involved in blockchain, uh, the, the, I guess libertarian focus, I don't know if that's the right uh, way to describe it. And also you're into health in the health space. So, um, I, mean, I, I mean, it's pretty cool, but uh, but I, I actually the reason I wanted to connect with you is, uh, is more about cryptocurrencies and blockchain and plus also you have uh, you also work with uh, some legendary people like uh, John McAfee so uh, I mean in the crypto space I mean he is uh, definitely a legend I know some people also think he's crazy but hey um, if you're going to make if if trying to get attention and trying to make uh, trying to do big things, you know, you got to be, you know, so, uh, and so me, does it happen about you? How about you introduce yourself, please?
1: Yeah, no, uh, thank you. That was, that covered it. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, multiple founder, uh, now I have gotten into pretty much consultancy and advisory space, uh, both with companies and with individuals, mostly entrepreneurs um they're either in blockchain specifically or are dealing with blockchain or are in the investment space so i'm I'm working with two fund managers and a vc as well and so um as clients and so yeah it's it's very rewarding and gratifying work so thank you though for that wonderful introduction i appreciate it
0: yeah yeah no because i i i look at your history and i mean it's just like no, I'm just, uh, what do you say, I admire the kind of work that you do. It's not, not only just blocked him, but I, on the other side, you've been working with a lot of uh, military veterans, active and, uh, and I guess, retired as well. Like right. those, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh, yeah,
0: sorry, I forgot the military terminology. No, and it's stuff, just but
1: veteran. I, yeah, I, you had it. You had it, right. It's just veteran.
0: Yeah. yeah. And also, what was really cool is he also uh, been involved in the in the cannabis industry as well so um because i i know that's also that industry has gone through a lot of ups and downs similar to the crypto block, blockchain space so uh, I, I mean that that's quite interesting and now both those industries have, have really skyrocketed too mm-hmm. and gained a lot of attention so uh, now because I, I think to me i uh i wanted to ask is like how did you get into the cryptocurrency and blockchain space as well as the cannabis industry too? So,
1: yeah. Um, well, yeah. So initially I got in through events and I co-created an organization called D10E uh, that was sponsored by Brock Pierce, who is a, a venture capitalist and investor. And I co-created it with Matt McKibben, who is my business partner uh, with Decentranet for many years. And essentially. What we attempted to do as kind of, you know, newbies ourselves into the Bitcoin blockchain space, we'd only been in for, you know, the space then, this is 2014, 2015, was only, you know, eight, nine, not even nine years old, seven, eight years old. And we were still newbies, right? Because the space was so small, the ecosystem really just was, everybody knew there. And so when we were attending events, we realized that this echo chamber had developed over time. And so uh, one thing that Brock found very compelling is the idea that we brought to the table, which was to bring together all of these different kind of ecosystems and industries that were all leveling the playing field with decentralization, but didn't realize they were doing that yet. So like drone companies, AI companies, 3D printing, getting all those guys talking to the blockchain and Bitcoin people. And that was really kind of our, um, you know, just kind of like a a, a, a boutique tech crunch disrupt, right? With way smaller budget. <laughs> so we were really trying to kind of, bring that, like you know, uh, that kind of vibe, right? Of, of discovering what other innovators were doing and not just staying in your own little silo. Um, so that really was my first foray and introduction into the space. I actually jumped over from the corporate world where I was engaging as a project manager. And I actually... Loved the libertarian space. It just, there was no money in it. Right. And so I first jumped over to that. You know, <laughs> played at all back then, right. Um, played in the startup world yeah. with libertarian uh, organizations and, and liberty oriented uh, organizations. And then I fell in love with blockchain actually through Jeffrey Tucker. If people are familiar with um, him, I used to work with him at mm-hmm. an organization called Liberty Me and uh, who, which Matt Kibbe, I think now owns, but um, originally had a great idea. And he got me into all the blockchain Bitcoin concepts pretty early on because he was very fascinated by them. And then I just got pulled over. And once I got the bug, I never lost it. And so, yeah, we grew D10E into a pretty large organization. Um, It went under new leadership and became an international uh, organization after I went on to uh, work for McAfee and some of his uh, projects that he had. But yeah, there was it was a very good introduction because I entered the space when it was still very small and disruptive. And you could really meet people who, you know, they were all poor back then. And now they're, uh, they've all gone on to be multi-billionaires. And it's pretty cool to watch really great human beings who were truly in it because they loved it not because there was this massive financial incentive because no one knew that the money would ever come, right? You had a hunch, but you weren't quite sure. I don't think any of them really expected yeah. crypto to take off the way it did. So it was really cool to get into the space that early and just watch its growth from afar. It's pretty nice.
0: Yeah, uh, Now I'm glad you brought up, uh, you know, uh, you know, your for into. The liberty, or, or you know, the libertarian ideals, and I love the part where you talked about, you know, back in the day, most libertarians. I remember too. Uh, <laughs> I, I work consider myself as a as a foreign libertarian. You know, like. Living in the, uh, the plains of West Texas, you know, yes. like, think that and the and the Federal Reserve, you know, there's a crazy brown guy <laughs>
1: yes. fighting
0: for freedom, you know, like. Yes. So, <laughs> and I, I remember me and my, my other friend Mario Gale. Uh, I interviewed him early. He's in Costa Rica, so he he's one to introduce me to uh, Dr. Ron Paul and about the Federal Reserve. And I, one of the common themes was most libertarians were, you know, were, were broke. You know, I mean, we we're all just like naive or, you know, idealistic, you know, young people, you know. But what I noticed that there were a lot of libertarians in the blockchain space, but um, but I think, uh, but I, I, I have to agree with you. I, I don't, most of them never realized how big and how fast it, it grew. And uh, would you say it's kind of nice to see uh, a good amount of libertarians, have created value, created wealth, and now they're pursuing many other things, you know? You know it is. You, say?
1: Um, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of the libertarians that are in the crypto space that I am very you know, familiar with and cozy with wouldn't call themselves any, you know, have no association to the party, but they definitely may not even call themselves libertarians. They either call themselves, you know, straight up anarchists or uh, politically agnostic. Or, um, you know, I'm 5D, man. I don't worry about, you know, three or 4D politics. But um, so I don't know that they even label themselves with the traditional thinkers or the classical liberal thinkers, Um, but they definitely embody libertarianism in every way, shape, or form. And I think what attracts most of uh, free, sovereign, individualistic, independent type thinkers and creators is the idea that essentially, blockchain and Bitcoin really essentially from a monetary perspective is the the first real enabler of the middle class to have direct financial empowerment. There is no middleman. There's no, you know, in certain parts of the world, as you know, you literally have to know somebody to open a bank account, right? Or you have to be sponsored or you have to have a certain amount of capital up front to get access to a bank. And you know, and and seeing the financial empowerment that is capable for the middle class all over the world. um, And even the impoverished class all over the world. It just speaks to such a, you know, fight for the underdog. That is a kind of philosophy that is the undercurrent of libertarian thinking, um, empowering the individual as the, the large, you know, the smallest minority in the world is the individual and the most oppressed. And so I think that's what's so attractive is that Bitcoin really gets the middle guy out, the bureaucrat, the politician, the banker, the, the you know, virtual, the, the almost like vulture capitalist, right? It gets them out of the way and enables that direct financial empowerment. And so, yeah, there's a lot of synergy there, even if a lot of my crypto people don't want to claim it. There's <laughs> definitely, there's a lot of alignment.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no, uh, uh, um, yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad you, uh, you mentioned about uh, many of them wouldn't claim to be part of the Libertarian Party because mostly for me, uh, mm-hmm. I uh, I, can, I wouldn't consider myself as part of the big L, you know, the big uh, LP or whatever. So uh, I would consider myself as an anarcho-capitalist or anarchist yes. or another term would be voluntarist. I think that's a term Roger Ver would use quite a lot. Um, but even uh, Hotep Jesus uh, Brian Shaw, he can see, he outright calls himself an anarchist. You know, like they have gotta be proud of it. I know people kind of get scared by the word anarchist. Uh, but it's interesting, like you know, they don't, uh, many of them have also kind of walked away from the from the political organization stuff because I know that can be quite uh, painful in many ways. I think some <laughs> have experienced. Uh, I get not blowback, but uh, trauma. I, I don't know, It's uh, uh, I, I know I got tired of it. I know some of my friends uh, were hurt by by some of the politics, whether in the libertarian or Republicans or Democrats. Um, but speaking about politics, uh, I happen to see uh, a, a, a friendly endorsement from our special friend, Hillary Clinton, in some <laughs> special event, uh, she has endorsed Bitcoin yeah. When <laughs> uh, I mean, those Bitcoin, she has stated that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies can destabilize nations. Uh, what do you think about that, Tiffany? I mean, is it possible? Can can cryptocurrencies destabilize nations? Oh my goodness, um, that's scary. Uh,
1: <laughs> you know, I think uh, inflation and runaway spending and having no budget. Uh, probably stand more of a threat to destabilization than the next frontier of monetary policy. And so, you know, you gotta think of, uh, you have to take the long view here and you have to look at what, um, you know, the candle makers, these are the candle makers, right? Is what they're facing the electricity of money mm-hmm. and candles are always gonna have a place, right? They're always gonna be valuable. They're always gonna be yeah. your backup when the grid goes down, right? Your reliable trusty candle. Um, But you definitely, in the age of the electricity of money, are going to prefer the fastest, most competitive, most reliable, and the most transparent, trustless form of meaningful exchange of monies from person A to person B without the Hillary Clintons of the world in the middle, right? And so that's scary to her, that's scary to the global elite, and that's scary to anyone that doesn't trust people because they're used to ruling people right and so if i was a candle maker looking at the electricity of money i would be pretty scared too and i would try to make other people scared of this destabilizing currency i mean you look at some of the early propaganda not all of it was wrong right about the electricity phenomenon taking off and in the time period some of the political cartoons and some yeah. of the you know newspaper articles that were produced by people that made a lot of money, right. you know, facilitating candles. This electricity was just scary and it was volatile and you could die and right, you could lose all of your savings and your the world's gonna collapse, right? But really, what it's doing is it's creating a new era that is out of the cats out of the bag and it's uncontrollable. And I think the state in and of itself is going to fight for preservation. And so there's this. As an agent of the state, she has a vested interest in preserving the order that she knows, right? And so, you know, dinosaurs don't want a big asteroid to hit the earth because it's scary, right? But the asteroid's coming, and that is the complete disruption of the global financial system. And a lot of it is facilitated and precipitated by people like her. And she makes a lot of money off of the banks that pay her, right, to come do these speeches and- Um, and so, yeah, I mean, she has a vested interest 100% in advocating for fear mongering or this kind of, um, you know, posture of doom and gloom. Right. I, I would expect more of this because the state is kind of in that, you know, that's like the old adage. I can't remember which intellectual said it now, but it's like, you know, so I think it's almost like Schopenhauer, like the truth passes through three stages. Right. And of course it's, vilified and laughed at and mocked right we've declared bitcoin dead how many times right and then you get into the middle stage mm-hmm. where they fight it and then it's eventually just accepted yeah. right and so i think we're in we're in a mixture almost institutional decision by institutional decision between that middle period and the late stage acceptance of it right and so it's almost like headline by headline you see this volleying back and forth between fighting it and embracing it. And so she is going to advocate and her ilk are going to advocate for the fighting it, right And we'll we'll see those activities, especially yeah. if Jerome Powell is uh, you know appointed the head of the Federal Reserve. we and it looks very likely we'll see the fight and we'll see some of the um, you know attempts to destabilize this new technology. but ultimately it is essentially like fighting the internet or fighting the adoption of electricity. It's just not, it's not sustainable to continue this fight. And so I, you know, unfortunately history, once yeah. again, will prove her wrong.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, no, I, I love the part where you talked about, you know, first they kind of like ignore you, they laugh at you, they ignore you, and then they fight then they fight you and then you win. I guess that's kind of like a Mahatma Gandhi kind of,
1: yeah. Saying yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I would love, uh, love to talk about the the crypto the, the cryptocurrency the blockchain space. And you know, you came in quite early. And I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe you might be one of the first, uh, one one of the first women who entered the blockchain space. I think that was you. There's also, um. Uh, I I forgot uh, I forgot her name, uh, but I know her Instagram handle, Sky Cardo. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, <laughs> Naomi Brockwell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Naomi Brockwell. Gotcha. Sorry. All right. My yeah. bad. Yeah, but there was uh, you guys were one of the first people to first women in the space. So I mean, could you share the experience? What was it like? You know.
1: Yeah, you know, um I feel very spoiled. Um I really have been, I think just truly blessed to have almost first of all, this is not my first foray in a male dominated environment. My entire social circle is, you know, gun pilots and prior to this, I worked in, you know, I was a project manager in the, you know, architecture construction industry, you know, luxury real estate. And so male dominated, and then really I've moved over in many different ways, you know, the libertarian uh, ecosystem, male dominated. And so I've almost always been in a leadership, male leadership role with predominantly male subordinates or colleagues or superiors. And so this is, I always have to frame it that way um, so that it's understood that this is not new to me, but um, you know, I really, I got very lucky working with really humanistic people and people who had had already um, were either, you know, kind of uh, almost shamanistic in their belief in humans instead of identities. Does that make sense? And so um, they were really in. They were really drawn toward competence and the ability to execute. And those are two things that I do very well. And so it was. I was never treated. I think to some of the sexism that I think other women that have come into the space later, now that you've got um, more finance bros and more like programmers from the Silicon Valley crowd, I think now that you've got that in there with like the Moon Lambo guys, the traders, right? Um, I think the space might have evolved. And so I can't speak yeah. to that experience. Um, I can't speak to that experience. The experience I can speak to is more of, can you get it done? And are you an ethical, good person? Great. And if you have, you know, if you're you've got tits, then doesn't really matter. <laughs> like just get it done, okay? And so, to me, um mm. I think that that I, I got very spoiled by that because I've heard a lot of very unfortunate stories of young women that have entered the space now that have told me about some pretty alarming sexism. And, you know, in the West framing it, right? Um, the most extreme sexism yeah. that I have ever encountered. And I mean, I'm an eighth generation Texan. I've worked with good old boys from the oil fields to soldiers who you know, fly mm. the most sophisticated attack helicopter in the world. And I've never been spoken down to in a sexist manner outside of the Wall Street people and that crowd, right? And so I think the more of that we bring in, the more right. sexism is there. And so I feel like a lot of their experience is influenced by that culture. And that is a very unfamiliar culture to me. In fact, I've, I've been condescended to and didn't even realize it was happening. I was so surprised because it's, it's almost like seeing an animal in the wild to be talked down to by someone who, you know, I probably had Mm -hmm. 10 IQ points on. So I'm like, wait, are you, are you man? (laughs) (laughs) Uh Are you telling me? So I, I feel like my, my experience is probably not representative i also engaged very early on in the crypto space with a lot of what i would consider to be like renaissance men um very active in the Mm -hmm. plant medicines um you know most of them were Buddhists or a hybrid of buddhism um and so there was just this very humanistic this sounds very optimistic and starry eyed, but it's the true testament to my experience. And so there wasn't any of this um, you know hierarchical um, you know treatment, I guess, of other people in my experience. but again, that that's early in the space and I feel I know and, and honor the fact that I was very fortunate and blessed to work with people who had that posture and adopted that type of attitude. and that's not reflective of everyone's experience.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. No. Uh, I, I mean, thank you for sharing that uh, That experience because, uh, you know, you know, because I've seen a lot of uh, folks from different industries, like, you know, from the gambling industry and, mm-hmm. you know, your IT. Then you got a lot of, uh, uh, even so sort of traditional finance space. So a lot of these guys are coming into cryptos. Um, I guess they get, they got recruited because now crypto, all these companies have lots of money but you know these guys these executives keep coming in you know the only reason they're coming in is not because they i mean they are interested in the technology and the future and stuff but you know they're getting paid big salaries right so um but uh but i was curious to ask you um like if you were to kind of like guide you know new women into the space you know what like would it be your? Um, words of wisdom, you know, to share the future women will kind of entering the blockchain the crypto space, what they need to look out for and how they can be successful in this, uh, you know, ever-growing turbulent industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it would depend on which, um, which, what element of the industry they're entering, right? So I am a huge advocate of needing more marketers and communicators, which are you know, a traditionally female um, dominated uh, kind of, you know, almost enclave of the larger you know, corporate communication structure. It's a very niche um, kind of ecosystem. And I think a lot of women are very good at communicating. We're, we're um, capable of a unique skill set, not that men aren't, but um, of really, I think, attaching not necessarily emotion, but marketing is creating and gendering feeling, right? And so it's, it's taking what could ordinarily be very boring, um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to say boring because it's useful, but you could, you could really see some of the technology that's being developed as um, not necessarily interesting to the majority of people who might encounter it. Right. But I think women uniquely have the ability in the marketing communication space to tell a story around a use behind a technology and how it impacts human beings on like a human person to person level and i feel that that is a really strong skill set that's super useful in this space and so if you are in marketing communications and you want to come in contact me i will mentor you first of all um but then on top of that i would find other women in the space that yeah exactly that have um Other women in the space that have have, you know, positive experiences about where this technology is going that are actually in it because they value what it's doing for humanity, not necessarily just making a buck. Right. Um, That would be kind of just my first um, my first kind of, you know, thing to throw out there. My second one would be have a rule set for what you want to actually work on, because there's so many companies hiring in the space now that there's really no reason to settle. Do not work for assholes. There's no reason to work for assholes. You can pick and choose. And if you have the talent and you have the actual knowledge behind you, you don't have to settle for any project and you don't have to take any bullshit from anybody, right? You've got enough work out there right now. And so um, my last, my third thing would be really find ethical people and then dig into what they're creating become a subject matter expert you don't need to understand how to code you know all the different idiosyncrasies behind a technology you need to understand it fundamentally enough to use it and explain it simply and if you can understand and this is one thing too that i think a lot of developers um and you know people who are in the the heavy heavy development side of these various technologies they really need people that kind of do come in from an outside perspective to parachute into the project and figure out how to translate all the magic that's happening to people who don't understand it, right? And that is, it's like nobody wants to know how the iPhone works. White page, you know, lesson by lesson, they want to know its functionality and its use. And I think there's a skill set if you can patch into a project. Understand the technical functionality enough to grasp it and then can use that grasp knowledge to then communicate to the larger world what's taking place there. And so don't be intimidated by the technology. Find ethical people who are creating things that really change the world and get to work. Roll up your sleeves and dive in.
0: Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, That's pretty cool. You talk about, you know, what, you know, don't less. You know, work for ethical people and definitely don't work for assholes. I mean, there are plenty in the space, you know, just, uh, but I love the part uh, we talked about, you know, working with developers uh, uh, because uh, one thing I learned is like, um, like in some of these uh, cryptocurrency groups, I'll use, for example, the Monero community, then, you know, there are a lot of really smart individuals, but the way they market themselves or the messaging I mean, it definitely needs a lot of work. They need like marketing people. They need people who, uh, who could you know communicate to the Joes and Janes around the world. But dealing with some of these developers, and uh, I, I guess sometimes as a marketing professional or someone who's a communications uh, expert or specialist, sometimes you have to be like kind of like an autistic whisperer or something. You know, to these guys like to be able to you know like yeah. you know you know bring them you know bring them into you know like the mainstream and um i i i guess uh i, I, uh, I the reason i bring that up is because uh, previously like uh you know just seeing some of the uh there have been some sort of little bit of infighting within certain you know cryptocurrency groups not just monero but other groups as well and um uh, there's always some sort of like a technical issue or a political issue. So, um, I mean, not not in terms of politics, but just, you know, within groups, but I guess the point is like, um uh, I mean, if you can just dive deeper into like, you know, why some of these, pro- these uh, protocols or projects, they need like really uh, good marketing and messaging specialists or experts, you know? Yeah. Uh,
1: I think you'll see- I, I, I hope you get- yeah, I think that I think the NFT space might be one of the first um, applications of the tech, these technologies that might attract the kind of Silicon Valley communications and marketing crowd first. Um, I'll give you an example. I'm working on Sundance Film Festival, and we're launching an NFT and immersive lounge at Sundance for the first year. And I was just kind of looking at all of the great companies that I admire in the NFT space, either because I invested in the picks and shovels, right, um, very early on. I don't buy NFTs; I buy you know access and coins into what I believe are some of the cool protocols, like Dapper Labs, Flow, and all those guys. Um, But I was looking at some of the cool projects and trying to through LinkedIn, yeah. check out what marketing teams were being used to sell their product to the non-crypto savvy space, right? Cause they're, they're having to translate what an NFT is to artists and sports figures and teams. And so they're, they're really in a unique position to try to explain what these things do and how they empower the person who's NFTing themselves or their art. Right, and that's a that's a complicated task. And so yeah. I was just curious from a nerd out perspective, like who were the communicators that were really like leveraging whatever their skill sets were from whatever ecosystem they're bringing in into the NFT space. And I found a lot of really interesting Silicon Valley startup people that were now jumping in to the big players in you know the top five big players in the NFT space, you know OpenSea and all these other guys. And so It was cool to see that natural transition, whereas the Silicon Valley crowd probably would not. You had to be a true believer to really jump over into this space, you know, five years ago. But now the space is getting attractive because it has more money. And it's it's targeting mainstream established industries outside of finance, right? Because I I was mostly Mm -hmm. in blockchain enterprise, right? And then I got into the DeFi world which is very attractive and sexy to me. But then during my time in those two spaces, I completely lost track of NFTs and where those were going. My original theory is that they would be adopted by niche gaming environments, right? Like Hearthstone. And I wrote an article with my co-founders back in 2019 where we were kind of predicting where this would go. And we really thought esports eventually, right? But we never envisioned that NFTs would essentially do for artists, what streaming eventually did for musicians, right, like creating independent, right. community-oriented, direct access to their fan base, right, and being able to monetize with no middleman, we didn't envision that. I think, um, yeah. and so seeing that kind of take off into these mainstream, you know, financially of uh, influx with capital, different industries, I think has attracted some external talent. And that's allowed the storytelling and the marketing communications around what these technologies do to really elevate and to to grow and develop in real time. And that's been really, really wonderful for me to watch. just kind of cheer it on every time I see like BlockFi kills it on Instagram. I I haven't even reached out to whoever their communications person is, but I super fan them all the time. They do a fantastic job of explaining DeFi to the average person who who has no idea what Decentralized finances, um, so I think we're going to see more of that, which is really exciting.
0: Well, okay, no, no definitely want to check out BlockFi. I mean, haven't, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I've used like you know Celsius and uh, some other companies, but as far as the marketing for BlockFi, I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of new to me. Like, uh, but definitely want to check that out because I'm just, uh, uh, no, I, I'm just starting to see like, um, you know, like marketing and you know, especially the messaging side. I mean, that's becoming way important than ever before. Like, um, because already on top of that, like, I mean, here in Dubai, there's so many companies. They all are, you know, like, boss betting all these events and stuff. There's so much noise. So, yeah, I mean, even, even some people have approached me and stuff, you know, trying to help the coach, you know, how to buy Bitcoin and all, all this other stuff. Like, yeah. um, they don't know where to begin. There's just too many. So, how do you, like... Um, <laughs> like, you know, stand out, how do you, so, I don't know, so, I think, uh, uh, I think later on, I think there's going to be a lot of marketing opportunities for a lot of people out, out there, and especially for women too, like, usually, like you said, right, it's, usually, that's kind of like a, a female-dominated space, um, but anyways, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the legend, legendary, of course, John McAfee, and, mm-hmm. You Know uh, because uh, no, I definitely admire the guy because I mean, he was a in candidate, and uh, I also uh liked his nomadic history uh, when he left the U.S. and um, uh, what do you say? I mean, he moved to the Caribbean, I, I, I forgot the name of the country, but I know he moved least, back, yeah. traveled and stuff. Uh, but I was kind of yeah, but I, I was curious to know, like, uh, how did you meet up with him, and/or did he find you, or did you know destiny call call each other? I mean, like, how, how did that happen?
1: Um, actually, so I have a very good friend of mine who is a fantastic libertarian photographer. Uh, he's actually an entrepreneur as well, Jud Weiss, um, in the libertarian space, and so. He Judd has gone around to all sorts of fantastic events throughout the years and taken really iconic photos. Um, but he's he and I have worked had worked together on some small little projects here and there. Uh, and he had known about the, kind of the event production project management experience that I had had in the crypto space. And when he came on board with John McAfee for the 2016 Libertarian presidential race, he came on as his vice presidential candidate. And immediately saw that the campaign was being sabotaged, essentially. And so the current campaign manager, I'm sorry, the previous campaign manager, before I jumped in for the last eight weeks of the program, six to eight weeks, um, was essentially not doing what he should have been doing. And so, you know, he conveniently went to go work on for uh, Gary Johnson afterwards. And so I have a feeling he was working for Gary the whole time. But essentially, there were people that you know, were contacting the campaign, trying to volunteer that were never being contacted. Um, John had 1,100 volunteers from every walk of life you can imagine from, I mean, programmers to housewives to civil libertarian activists to you know, Black nationalists that were like, man, I love you. I want to do whatever I can to help you. Never contacted in any way, shape, or form. And so Um, donors weren't being reached out to, media was not being contacted. And so Judd saw, he got a whiff of this pretty early on. He knew I was a systems builder. He knew that I had no aversion to working with um, eccentric mavericks, right? And brought me in essentially and asked me to jump in. And uh, I scaled the campaign from zero volunteers to almost 100 in two and a half weeks. I didn't sleep. But I knew that Judd was on to something, that 2016 Hallmark election, and that, I didn't have kids back then, Um, but um, it was a Hallmark election where people really wanted to hear from irreverent disruptors, and Trump was just proving that over and over again. And so where the Libertarian Party thought it might be a good idea to put, you know, um, well-intentioned, milk toast candidate like Gary Johnson out there, I saw that Judd had a really good point that people were looking for someone to trailblaze a new narrative. And unfortunately, um, Trump took all of that momentum and then, of course, ran it into the ground. But um, it was attractive to me because John told me, first of all, he subjected himself because I'm a former investigative journalist. I wrote for The Washington Times. I was a columnist. I covered the war on terror. I covered privacy and domestic terrorism and all sorts of, um, you know, lovely salacious topics. And when I first decided to work with him, you know, I did a cursory Google search and I'm like, I am not attaching my stellar reputation to this human. (laughs) So, um, he answered every question I had. (laughs) He was, he was a total open book. Um, and of course my radar is always up for psychopaths and for bullshit artists. And so I dug deep and I hit him. I hit him hard over and over again with some pretty gruesome questions, and he answered every single one. And so um, that I decided, all right, you know what, fuck it. <laughs> so I did. But it was really um, as a as a libertarian, I really appreciated that he was super transparent very early on. That I have no illusions about winning. So don't expect that, but let's take this as far as we can and let's get as much attention on the topics around what libertarians should be discussing and bringing to the forefront as we possibly can. And then another thing that most people don't realize about that run is that he basically came to me and said, look, you're a startup dork. You love startups, right? So let's actually go in and audit the libertarian party and find out why it is so dysfunctional. And then when I get in there, I'll actually lead this party like a startup CEO. Like let's actually get people in place. Let's find out where things are broken. Let's set up systems that allow us to scale this organization. And so he launched what was called the Vote Different Initiative that basically allowed me to go in and we did this huge poll of all the libertarian state chairs and the people who were at the leadership level and at the city and state level and found some pretty endemic problems that of course the Libertarian Party leadership had zero interest in. And so he literally said, how quickly could you build an infrastructure? And let me tell you, um, and uh, this is a a whole other topic in and of itself, so I won't go down there, but just from that poll that we had a couple hundred respondents from, there was zero local candidate support taking place for like people who are running for sheriff and constable or, you know, mm-hmm. comptroller, like electable positions, right? No infrastructure. Whereas yeah. the, yeah, the Republicans and Democrats will give you a campaign in a box, right? So he said, you and the team go build a campaign in the box, right? Then we were looking at, okay, well, these people who have no infrastructure, no support, how are they actually onboarding volunteer interests? Because the Libertarian party was growing in 2016 because people were looking for alternatives. And so literally half the people that we talked to had no systems for onboarding volunteers they had they were taking phone calls on their personal cell phones and weren't tracking them anywhere there was no automation so he basically said go design systems that will allow people to onboard people quickly get them in some emailing like do we need to go to mailchimp and buy ten thousand licenses in bulk for every state chapter right and so that that is what attracted me to once I kind of sold him on that idea and he realized there was a big problem, he was ready to go had he gotten the nomination. And so that to me was, he wanted to actually build systems around the concepts, not just talk about shit. And that to me was very interesting. So that, that's how I got started and why I skipped yeah. the campaign and, and really tried to make something, something happen from it, if we could.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah. No, no, uh, no. I'm glad you brought that point about like in, on the local level, there wasn't much support for libertarians like like on the local But I, For example, I was living in West Texas. I mean, like maybe I remember there's maybe like one or two but I was like, okay, but, but I mean, I, I, I like there was the um, uh, like, I guess uh, the libertarian party official support kind of stuff. There was not there's not much news and stuff like that. I mean, it was uh, kind of weird. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and no, I, also infrastructure, no infrastructure too, I, I don't know. I, I mean, for yeah. me personally, I didn't think there was any infrastructure.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh man. Uh, but anyways, uh, I mean, we all know that- Is there any the, now? Uh, the, I mean, like, it's, it's
1: 2021. Is there any infrastructure now? No. There's not, so. Uh,
0: not at all, I, I don't think so, no. But uh, anyways, we, we know what happened after that. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, I guess, you know, the, the people listening in, uh, they are sort of where, but they are kind of like walked away. But uh, uh, oh, one question I got to ask you is, is uh, Bill Weld, is he the, the original libertarian
1: <laughs> uh, and
0: according to Gary Johnson?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, no, that was, that was again, I, I, uh, I, you know, people trying right. to play the establishmentarian politic game. That's all that was, bless his heart.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, because even like some of my, uh, my Democrat friends too, but I guess I green us this back in the day, they were like, wait, is he really like, you know, because I remember he, Bill Wells from Massachusetts, right? If I'm correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. but yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, yeah. No. I, I know it, it was quite a, quite a, quite a shame. Like how it all, uh, you know, ended with all that uh, all the libertarian party stuff. But I am glad that um a lot of people have walked away and. um they have focused their energies into what, you know, the example, what you're doing, you're, you're, build, you're, you're trying to build freedom through entrepreneurship and uh, other forms of, uh, I guess, what do you call it, like social entrepreneurship? Yeah. Would that would that be defined correctly?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, I think company building, creating value, um, sharing expertise, it, it goes back to this phrase that I thought I was uniquely resurrecting that I most certainly am not. Other people are using it in spades and it's beautiful. I love to see it. It's the rising tide lifts all boats kind of philosophy. And I think that economic prosperity, value creation, um, engaging in market making dynamics are very important to helping facilitate economic growth and opportunity for other people. And so that to me is a far more meaningful use of time. That doesn't mean that I'm not interested in politics or that most people who are engaged, I mean, if you're in business, you live politics, right? Um, I just think that right now there's, yeah, if you put your, if you acquire skills to actually build something, and then enter politics. You have a far more, I think, wise perspective, right? You've you've gained wisdom through applying your life energy to something to create meaningful value for other people. And how can you run for office and represent other people if you don't even understand how to make a customer happy, or how to communicate to your customer, right? And so, I think there's a lot of, um, you know yeah, altruistic capitalism. There's a lot of conscious capitalism that our generation really loves. And so I think endeavoring to build in that ecosystem before you come into the political realm is a really good idea. For me, it's been a very great use of time, but I'll eventually run for office at some point. And I'm sure that, you know, our our generation's just getting started, right? We haven't even begun to really, most of the what millennials, the elder millennials are just now turning 40. I'm not even 40, right? And so and I'm a millennial and so we're not even this most, most of us have been building yeah, businesses yeah. and watching all these establishments and um all these infrastructures fail left and right. We've seen what the baby boomers have done to this country and how they run it into the ground and if they don't get us all killed, I think we're actually on to something pretty powerful. And so I think a lot yeah. of us have to have to kind of step up into the arena and, you know, throw our hat in the ring and try to represent other people who we value in our communities and their interests. And so eventually I'll do that, but getting, getting into the market and actually having fulfillment and gratification from, you know, successful business results, it it fills your well so that when you get into politics and they drain it, you are at least you're starting from a full cup, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah
0: yeah no great yeah 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 no but uh no uh i think the work that you're doing is, is really awesome like um uh, i think to me it's, it's it's really a good example for for many other libertarians or oh actually anyone too like uh i mean whatever their political background is but i mean yeah, starting your own business start you know starting your own company i think that's uh or whatever adventure it is, is a great way to, I guess, uh, what do you say, increase your financial confidence, raise your human capital, and also create a a, 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 a way to spread economic and financial freedom. You know, for, for all, not just for you but for everyone else. So, uh, I, I think that uh, I, I think that's something uh, for me, but also any other people, uh, other younger younger people out there too. I mean, uh, I I think they 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 love to do uh, the kind of work that you're doing too. You know, so uh, you. I think that's I think that's pretty awesome. But anyways, I would uh, but anyways, uh, I, I would love to finish this off with um, maybe uh, just for you to share some words of wisdom for some of the uh, say like I guess the young Americans, but also uh, other people around the world too. You know, you know, many of them are sort of, you know, passionate about, you know, social causes and also sometimes they also get drawn into the political side of things, but um, uh, would, would, uh, would you advise them to, you know, get into entrepreneurship?
1: Yes, I think the uh, productive class, the entrepreneurial class is the only ecosystem capable of truly changing the world. And the, you know, politics is downstream from culture and culture is directly tied to business, and business is tied to markets, and markets are people. And so people getting into markets and getting into business influences culture, which then influences politics. And so I think if you're remotely interested in culture or politics, then get into business and become your own own creator. Um, Also, you're less dependent on anyone when you have money, right? Um, I keep seeing this Mm -hmm. anti-work culture as this kind of extreme response to the hustle culture of working all the time. And I think there's a nice, healthy grounding in the middle where, uh, rather than being anti-work and saying, well, I don't need money. Right. I I can just live off of nothing and grow my own food and live off the grid. Right. You know, the government will take care of me. Um, that is a very dangerous and super scary, scary trend that I see happening right now for younger crowds. Um, yeah, I would reject that wholesale and say, You don't have to hustle until you're, you know, and this is coming from someone who used to work 80 hour work weeks and sleep four hours a night and maybe even miss the sleep for two days in a row because I was so obsessed with the projects that I was working on. Um, That's unsustainable and unhealthy. Don't do that. Right. But, but you can find a happy balance in the middle. Right. That's being fulfilled in your work so that it doesn't feel like work. That's what I would strive toward. And that is to me, um, you know, humans seek meaning. We all look for meaning in what we're doing. So find something truly meaningful, as cliche as that sounds, find something where you're excited to jump out of bed and get after it. And that is not hard to do in this beautiful world where you have the entire compendium of human knowledge right here in your hand. So get after Mm -hmm. it for making excuses. That's probably the best advice I can get.
0: Uh, that's awesome, hey Tiffy. Yeah, no, that, that's that's great advice, and definitely, I'm going to take it too. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, actually, that 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 answers for mostly for me than uh than my audience, you know. So that's how I feel. But uh, but yeah. Anyways, Tiffy, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, likewise, thank you in. for coming in.
0: I really enjoyed this, uh, you know, this conversation. Just uh, you sharing your. Your experience and some of your exciting projects you got going on. So uh, so glad glad to have you at the CryptoCosm.
1: Yeah, thank you so much and I appreciate it and I hope we get to do it again. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Anyways. Awesome. Thanks. Take care. All right. Yeah. All right.